First Look continues on News Talk 99.7 WNTK with our weekly visit with Michael Armstrong, whom you hear every weekday at 10 on WNTK and WUVR. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm doing well. Good morning, John. Good morning. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal this past weekend about several million workers are dropping out of the workforce for the time being. Uh, is that even yeah, possible? Well, the argument here is that hey, they did drop out. Um, you know, It's clear that you know, more than a million people dropped out of the labor force during the pandemic. Um, and a lot of them have not yet gotten back in. And th- this article from the Wall Street Journal is basically saying that, um, you know, these people who they surveyed are, you know, going to stay out of that workforce indefinitely. Uh, they, the dropouts tend to be women. Uh, they, you know, by a large amount lack a college degree. They've worked in low paying fields in one sort or another. And this survey conducted over the past year, um, you know, seemed to indicate that these people were not going to get back into the labor force and that it, um, you know, it might take an exceedingly long time to recoup all of the jobs that were lost at the very beginning of the pandemic. I mean, we are now within spitting distance of those jobs. We're, we're about a you know, million and a half short of where we were prior to the pandemic. But that's still a lot of workers. And I think anybody that is trying to hire right now has experienced this problem. Um, but I, I'm going to come out and say, I, I'm just not buying it. Uh, I, I understand that people did have a buffer, um, in their savings accounts because of pandemic related stimulus and because of you know, a number of different reasons. I understand that people are still hesitant in some cases about getting back into the, uh, into the workforce and going back to work and, you know, uh, either unsafe uh, or perceived unsafe you know, conditions or just you know, not wanting to go back to a low-paying job where they don't feel that they you know, got a lot out of it. Um, but at the end of the day, as you, you, know, you and I were talking about this off-air a little bit, at some point, you know, the bills are due and uh, you know, student loan payments, I assume, won't be suspended forever. Uh, mortgage payments are required again and uh, rental payments, you know, evictions are happening again. So uh, for a number of reasons, I, I see this as a bit misguided. It might take a little while to get there, but I do believe that we will you know, once again reach the labor force participation rates that we were seeing back prior to the pandemic. Uh, how long it takes uh, is a fair question, but I don't think it's five years. You know, I, don't, I don't think it's going to take half a decade to get back where we Well, we shall wait and see. And waiting and seeing, we've got a big week this week for earnings reports, particularly for banks. We do. Bank of America reported just before the bell. We had a few that reported last week as well. And across the board, these banks are showing um, declines in earnings from a year ago. But generally speaking, you've seen a number of them beat out on expectations here uh, in terms of what a lot of analysts had written in for their forecast earnings for this quarter. what we are really waiting to see here from these banks is you know, what are they releasing in terms of potential losses that they had forecasted? Are they actually able to make loans in this environment? Because there seems to be a little bit of this volatility sort of game where you know, uh, companies are nervous about investing, banks are nervous about lending because of perceived volatility in the economy. Um, and then, you know, borrowers are nervous about borrowing for the same reasons. And so will there be the demand for, you know, continued growth? And, and frankly, we need it at this stage, right? I mean, we, we've got all sorts of supply chain issues. Um, we don't have enough uh, energy production. We don't have enough semiconductor production. And really the only way you get 
through all of that is by investing, borrowing, and spending on increasing production and increasing supply. Uh, and we're not really seeing any signs of it at this stage. And, and the banks are showing that, too, that the, you know, the loan demand isn't really coming through, or at least they're not the ones making the loans. Well, along a similar trend of thought, the consumer spending habits have also been released, and that's another can of worms, isn't it? Well, you know, there was this whole story during the pandemic that, you know, consumers had permanently shifted their spending patterns. And admittedly, today, the percentage of uh, retail sales that occur online is a lot higher than pre-pandemic levels. But what we saw from a few different companies and what we saw from some surveys from MasterCard and the likes is that uh, we might have hit some peak levels, uh, at least for the time being, uh, in the last year or so in terms of online sales. Uh, Dick Sporting Goods, as an example, saw their online sales drop 11% while their in-store sales increased by 14% over the last quarter. And, and you're seeing that at Amazon. Not that Amazon has you know, brick-and-mortar sales, but they're seeing their online sales declining a bit as well, uh, which, which is interesting, right? We, we had been theorizing, hey, it's so many more people get comfortable with online shopping that you're going to have this permanent dip in brick and mortar sales. And, and we did get you know, a, a new high watermark in terms of percentage of sales that occur online, like I mentioned. And I don't know that we're going to get back to pre-pandemic levels in terms of you know, that number going down. But certainly we are seeing that people are you know, going back to wanting to shop in store and browse and you know online shopping is great for when you know exactly what you need uh i knew i saw some wasps in my you know in my house the other day and i bought a three pack of wasp killer online because i knew exactly what i needed it was super easy it got delivered two days later but if i am looking for clothing items if i am shopping for home furnishings if i'm shopping for sporting goods it's oftentimes more convenient and self-assuring to go in, look around, and, and try it all out. And uh, you know, it, as expensive as it is to do so, the retailers with both options, a solid online store combined with a um, easy-to-get-to and easy-to-navigate brick-and-mortar location seem to be really doing well during this transition period. Well, you mentioned high watermark, and along those lines, some experts say that we've peaked on inflation. Yeah, that's, that's the term that's been going around uh, since the last reading on inflation. And there's a few reasons why. The, the headline number was brutally high, and you can blame that mainly on oil prices uh, and food prices as well. So commodity prices driving up the key headline inflation. But when you strip out, you know, economists oftentimes strip out energy and food because they tend to be very volatile. They'll go up by a lot one month and then they'll come down the next month. And there's not a whole lot of rhyme or reason to it other than there's some external shocks to the system. Whereas core inflation, housing, and clothing, and you know, everything else tend to be a little bit less volatile. And so a lot of economists are out there saying, hey, we might have peaked in terms of inflation. And I'm here to say, hey, that's entirely possible. I, I think the more meaningful question isn't whether or not we've peaked. The more meaningful question to me is, are we going to see a rapid change in terms of the rate of inflation, right? If it goes from 8.5% to 8%, we're still dealing with some of the worst inflation in decades. And so to me, that's the more relevant question. It's not whether or not we peaked, but how rapidly are we going to be able to slow this thing down and create new supply? And there's nothing out there that indicates that's about to get a lot better. Yeah. Elon Musk has been in the news for, uh, well, a couple of things. It involves Twitter and also Tesla. 
I mean, that guy's job is to just permanently stay in the news. And you know, on the Twitter side of things, anybody that missed it, he had come out and bought approximately 9% of Twitter's company. There was this fiasco about whether or not he was going to join the board. Ultimately, he decided not to join the board and came out and said that he was attempting to acquire Twitter. Again, unsure if this is an actual serious offer. He bid the company at $54.20, the same reference that he did when he talked about taking Tesla private. There seems to be a bit of a joke with all of this. Uh, Nonetheless, Twitter went and adopted what's called a poison pill, making it very difficult for Elon Musk to acquire Twitter at this stage. On the same side, he's also in trouble with the SEC and presumably with Twitter shareholders because he didn't properly disclose his investment in Twitter in a timely fashion. Oh boy, the drama unfolds and it continues and uh, we'll be waiting to hear more about it on the Financial Exchange today and every weekday starting at 10. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, John.